gentleman has been coming to our church for a few years now. His name's Jerry Pennington. Many people know him as Brother Jerry because he pastored in our community for many, many years. Brother Jerry came to me a couple weeks ago, and he said, Hey, I want to do a hymn before you preach, and I want to preach for about five or ten minutes. Would that be okay? And I truly didn't feel like I had the right to say, No, Jerry, that wouldn't be okay, because I want to tell you about this guy. From the time Brother Jerry started coming to our church, he has been nothing but an encourager to the ministers and to the members of our church, and specifically for us younger members, so I'm not going to tell you who, or for the younger ministers, I'm not going to tell you who that excludes, but Bernie, you and Brian are probably out of the club, all right? No offense. Comer's on the, he's on the precipice. But for me and Dave and BJ and Ryan and the, the, the younger men that have really given our lives to minister to this church for the glory of God. He has been a special encouragement. He pulled me aside one night after I preached. I don't remember if it was a good message or not, but he pulled me aside, pulled me out to the parking lot, and I didn't know if he was going to bless me or beat me up for the message, but he called me out to the parking lot. I followed him out. He opened his trunk, and he had about 50 pounds worth of books and Bibles and commentaries dictionaries, lexicons, scriptures, you name it. And it was the tools that he had used throughout his decades of ministry. And he said, I'm older. It's time for you young men to take charge. And he gave that to me. And he blessed me with that. And he has been like a spiritual father to me. And I'm going to tell you, he hadn't made this easy on us because, Brother Jerry, this hymn is older than the hymnal. He told me the hymn he wanted to sing. We could not find the thing. It's not in any of the hymnals that still lie around here. It's not even in it. So we had to find it. Luke is basically playing it by ear. But I'm excited to hear what God's given to you, Brother Jerry. And we as a church are grateful for your ministry. Thank you. Yeah, you can I will use that say one thing. I give those books to the right man. I felt that God told me to give them to him, and he is really making a preacher. Praise the Lord. You know, we don't play church here at Life Church. We're trying to tell it like it is, and do what God would have us to do. Before I sing tonight, I'm going to talk a minute. In Genesis, the sixth chapter, Jesus, uh, God said, my spirit will not always strive with man. That means that the Holy Spirit will deal with you for so long that if he sees you're not going to do anything, he'll quit calling. Another thing, if you, if you feel the Spirit calling you, every time you say no, you build a callus on your heart. And that callus will get so thick that you can't hear the call anymore. And when that happens, there's no hope. You're done. In Hebrews, it says, today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart. Another place says, how shall we escape? if we neglect so great salvation. I want to talk about two men tonight, Felix and uh, King Agrippa. 
the Apostle Paul had been arrested for preaching. He was in chains, and they caught him up before Felix. He told Felix, he said, you know all about the scriptures. You know that Jesus lived and Jesus died on the cross, that God resurrected him from the dead, and you need to repent and be saved. And what did Felix tell him? On a more convenient day, I'll call. You know, I've had people tell me that. But when I get ready to be saved, I'll call you. Do you know, if the Holy Spirit's not calling you, you can't be saved. The Holy Spirit's got to be a calling you to, for you to be saved. People say, well, I'm going to have a deathbed salvation. Well, I, I, I feel that there's some people being that lucky. But I'd say your chances for that is very slim. When we come to salvation, we don't want to play games with God. King Agrippa come to visit Felix, and he found out that Felix had Apostle Paul in chains, and he said, well, I won't talk to him. So he went before King Agrippa. Paul in chains wasn't worried about his good. He knew what his calling was. His calling was to serve God, and that's what he was going to do. And he told King Agrippa, said, you know the scriptures. You know everything it takes to be saved. You need to repent and to be saved. And what did King Agrippa tell him? Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. People almost is lost. There's a song, Almost Persuaded, and in the last stanza it says, Almost Persuaded, but Lost. These two men, I am positive, never was expected to not be saved, but the scripture never tells us that either one of these men got saved. That you just keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and one day it's too late. You have no guarantee you'll be living tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. If you can hear the call tonight of Jesus calling you, accept him as your Lord and Savior tonight. In John 15, 16, God says, Ye have not, but I've chosen you. The God of the universe, when he's calling you, you have been called personally by God Almighty. Now, I've talked to people that said that, that has committed this sin. And they said there was a time in their life that they wanted to be saved. And then they just got to where they didn't care anymore. Because, see, the Holy Spirit quit calling them. When the Holy Spirit quits dealing with you, you ain't going to be worried about it anymore. The Holy Spirit's got to be doing the wooing. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the only way. Church membership, baptism, is not going to get you saved. It's not going to get you in heaven. 
you have got to accept Jesus Christ personally as your personal Savior. You've got to depend on him. You've got to trust him. You know, we hear today on television, it don't come automatic. I'll tell you something, it's a gift of God. Ephesians uh, 2.8.9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God, not of works. That's any man should boast. Ain't nobody going to be able to go to heaven and say, I have worked myself up here. Because the only way you're going to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That's it. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, and anytime you see behold in the Bible, that means pay attention. He's going to tell you something important. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come into him and, he, and open the door. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and he with me, and I will supper him and he with me. If you hear my voice, you saw the picture, I know, of Jesus knocking on the door. Have you ever noticed that door has not got a doorknob on it? The only one can open that door is you. When Jesus is knocking on your door, the only one can do it is Jesus Christ. You're the only one that can open that door for him. Nobody else. Jonathan Edwards was a preacher back about 1600. And he preached a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I liked his illustration. He said, if you're lost, you're just like a spider on a web, and you're banging right over the gates of hell. And the gates of hell is wanting to swallow you up, and the flames of hell is trying to cut the web in two. Lost person, if you're here tonight, and you can hear the call, don't hesitate. Today's the day of salvation not tomorrow if you hear the call tonight i urge you tonight to accept jesus as your lord and savior together brother jerry thank you for sharing with us and giving that to us tonight may we never be a church known for our modern music or for our old music may we never be identified as a young person's church or as an old person's church we're just the church May we be known as an obedient church. And I believe if churches that my generation are now casting vision for would hear from the generation that came before, it would benefit us. It's a tragedy whenever there is a separation of generations in the churches. It is God's will that the older, that the younger, that the children do ministry and life and church together. And I'm so grateful that we have that, Brother Jerry. Thank you. I want to talk to you tonight about prayer. We are on week three of Summer of Prayer. We are learning how to pray. We learned last week that prayer is not simply a habit. It is a skill that we can develop. And we know this because Jesus taught his disciples in Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew chapter 6. He taught them how to pray. There is a way to pray and there is a way not to pray. And the question isn't, how do we pray effective prayers? That's what I almost titled this. How do we pray effectively? But 
looking to pray effectively is almost a little self-serving. It's a little bit like, hey, I want to make sure I do this in the way that works for me. I think the more accurate description would be praying biblically. What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say about how we pray? I imagine and I believe that prayer, the way Jesus did it and the way Jesus taught it, is a struggle for most Christians. I dare say there's few of us tonight that would say that this is an area of the Christian life that we are masterful at, that we are comfortable with, that we are sure it's where it needs to be in our life. I'd say most of us would admit tonight that there is an opportunity for us to pray more, but more importantly than the quantity, for us to pray better, for us to pray Jesus' way. There's a tendency when we pray to pray a certain way. And I want to illustrate it like this. How many of you like Christian music? You like K-Love or maybe you like some of the older stuff. You like, you like Christian music. You try to listen to Christian music. Maybe you'll remember back in the time that I was like a teenager, back in the late 90s, the early 2000s, there was this trend that came about where modern pop rock bands who were Christians were doing songs that were like vaguely Christian. You know what, I'm saying? You know what I mean by that? Bands like Creed, bands like Lifehouse, they were, they said they were Christians, and they may be Christians. I don't really, I, truthfully, I can't tell you. I don't know them personally. I don't know what their life looks like. I don't know their fruit. I don't know their relationship with God. But they were Christians, and they were bands, but I don't know that they were Christian bands. You with me? And they would do these songs that really sounded Christian until you stopped and listened to them, and you considered, okay, they could be singing about God, or they could be singing about their girlfriend. And I'm not sure which one they're singing about. And I remember when we were growing up, we used to try to convince our youth pastors, let us do these creed songs and these lifehouse songs in youth. And they're like, well, it doesn't really talk about God. We're like, yeah, sure it does. God wants to take us higher, right? God wants to do that. It's a, it's a Christian song. And they were like, you know what? It, it, it may be, and it kind of sounds Christian, but truthfully, it could be secular. And it's kind of there in the fuzzy middle and... I just don't even really know if this is Christian. I don't know if we should really put our name on it. Because if it's not pointing directly to Christ, who's it, who's it pointing to, you know? There was kind of that concern. And as I was reading the scripture this week, preparing for this message, it got me thinking about how we pray. And this thought that I had entered my mind. Many times I pray, and maybe you're in this same boat with me. And maybe you're not, and maybe you're more mature spiritually, and maybe I'm just preaching to me tonight. If so, that's great. Y'all just stick with me and let me minister to myself for a little while. But sometimes I think we pray sort of like those early 2000s vaguely Christian songs. We pray, but we're not praying prayers that are distinctly Christian. Let me give you an example. When I pray with my children... And I pray with my children at night before they go to bed. We pray before we eat. I try to pray with my children pretty frequently. And the older they get and the more they learn and the more mature they get, they begin to pray more biblical prayers like Jesus did. But when they're little, they pray something like this. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. I pray that we have a good day tomorrow. I pray that you help the sick people. I pray that you help me. I pray that you give me this thing that I'm kind of looking for. I pray you take care of mommy and daddy. I pray that we have a good day. I pray that everybody is safe. I pray that everybody is healthy. Amen. And it's precious. Amen. I'm not going to stand up here and condemn the prayers of my children. Don't worry. They should pray what's on their heart. 
And there is a sense in which the Bible does say, bring all your cares upon the Lord. Cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. And that's true. There's nothing off limits when we pray. There's nothing you can't bring before the throne of God. There's nothing that God's going to say, hey, you know what? I don't care about that thing you're praying about. Unless it's really distinctly unbiblical. But truth be told, you don't have to be a Christian to want people to be healthy. Amen? You don't have to be a Christian to want to have a good day tomorrow. You don't have to be a Christian to want to have safe travel when you travel. You don't have to be a Christian to want your food to nourish you. You don't have to be a Christian in order to want people to be safe and healthy. You don't have to be a Christian to want most of the things that we pray about. And it got me thinking, when I pray, am I praying like an unbeliever bringing an agenda of things that are important to me to the foot of the throne and saying, God, here's what I would like to see out of my life, or am I approaching it from God's priorities? Because we can talk about how to pray effectively or ineffectively, but the truth is the question of how effective your prayer is is often going to be dictated by what your priorities in prayer are. Jesus prayed like this in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Many of you can quote this. He said, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the framework. This is the foundation. This is the picture of a biblical prayer. When Jesus approached his Father, this is how he prayed. We learned last week, we looked at verse 9, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Prayer begins, church, with intimacy and worship. If we want to learn to pray like Christians pray, like Jesus prayed, if we want prayer that is connected to God, that is beneficial to you and glorifying to Him, if we want prayer that we can depend on, it must begin not with my agenda, all right? It must not begin with, God, it's me again. Here's what I'm dealing with. In fact, it's not in the scriptures on the screen tonight, but if you go up just a couple of verses before Jesus begins what we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said this. He said, do not pray like the pagans or what we would call unbelievers. Don't pray like the non-Christians who babble on and on and on. Now, we listen to that and we think, okay, they had some sort of habit about how they pray. They would repeat the same words over and over and over again. And they thought that God would hear them. But then Jesus says, don't, don't pray like the pagans who just babble on and on thinking that God will hear them. Don't you know that God already knows your needs? And that sort of seems to indicate that when we pray, God isn't primarily looking for me to bring my list of needs to him. You with me? Jesus is saying, when you pray... Quit telling me over and over and over again all the things in your life that you're dissatisfied with. I know your needs. But instead when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, start with God, not with you. Start with God. Our Father, we come to Him the way a child approaches their loving and perfect Father. Start with relationships. Start with intimacy. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We begin with intimacy and we move into worship when we pray. And I prayed that after last week's message, as you prayed last week, you practice that. The goal of this isn't to simply become smarter or to memorize Scripture. Those are great things, but the goal is to put it into practice. 
And I'm learning to teach my children, hey, when we pray, before we start praying for good days and before we start praying for health and before we start praying for prosperity and riches and safety and security, let's approach God as God the Father. Let's remember that he's our Father. To all who believed, he gave them the right to be called sons and daughters of God. If you're a Christian, that's you tonight. Then he said, hallowed be your name. We worship. We set our prayer time apart. It isn't common like everything else is common. I don't simply talk to God like I talk to my buddy at work. I approach God understanding, yes, he's my father, but I also understand the weight and the gravity of the fact that I get to approach the throne of Almighty God who created everything by the breath of his mouth with his very word. It's serious. Prayer is a heavy thing. It is a weighty responsibility. Yes, we can pray casually throughout the day, but I believe there should be a time... When we stop and we take prayer seriously, we begin with intimacy and worship. And then we come to tonight what we're going to focus in on. We're going to focus tonight on your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. I want to talk to you tonight about his kingdom. Jesus says pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's intimacy, there's worship. Then he says your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to split that into two messages. God's priorities are what prayer centers on. Prayer centers on God's priorities. If we want to pray the right way, if we want prayers that are effective, we must center our prayer not on my priorities, but on God's priorities. And God's priorities, according to Jesus, in verse 10, are his kingdom and his will. Or to put it another way, and we'll explain this next week if you wonder why I'm wording it this way. So come back, don't miss it. God's priorities are his kingdom and my obedience. His kingdom and my obedience. He says, our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to talk tonight specifically about the kingdom. Because kingdom is an idea that most of us are a little unfamiliar with. We don't talk about the kingdom of America. We call ourselves the United States of America. We don't call our church the kingdom. We call it the church. It's a called out assembly of people. Kingdom is a little bit of old language, so to speak. It would have meant much more to an Israelite in that day who was identifying Jesus as potentially being the Messiah, the one who was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. You see... Kingdom is present all throughout the Bible, starting in Genesis all the way through Revelation. All 66 books center on this idea of God's kingdom coming. God's kingdom coming. The Israelites in the Old Testament looked ahead to when God's final kingdom would come. We as the church live in the kingdom now, yet we also look ahead to the final culmination of the kingdom. The Greek word for kingdom is basileia. It's mentioned 162 times in the New Testament. And I would define it simply as God's rule and reign among his people. We have to understand when we pray that God's kingdom come, we have to know what we're talking about. You see, Jesus doesn't intend that we just repeat these words. Hey, when you pray, make sure you use the words, your kingdom come, your will be done, because that's the key to unlock the power of prayer. It's not that simple. It's not a formula by which we plug in the right numbers and we get the right outcome. Prayer is meant to be relational. It's meant to be worshipful. And it is meant to reflect the priorities of the God we pray to. And he said, your kingdom come. We pray your kingdom come. Now, the closest thing we can probably identify with kingdom would be our country. 
And I'm not going to get off on a political tangent tonight. I'm not. But I will tell you that in a modern culture where the societal and the political system of the country is maybe more fragmented than it's been since the Civil War, all of us are more than likely entrenching ourselves into a political or a social identity. And in fact, there's a movement going on right now called identity politics, which is essentially stating that depending on who you are racially or socially or whatever your financial class is, you identify as something or as somebody or as a race or as a gender or whatever you identify as, and therefore your politics must reflect your identity. It's identity politics. And as you entrench yourself into identity politics, you will then take on the norms that come with your side or your political bend or your social system or construct or whatever you may call it. And we tend to defend it religiously. And it's not wrong to have opinions and to have convictions. Amen? I think it's more wrong to bury your head in the sand and not even think about it. Because Jesus did not take us out of the world. Jesus left us here to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to be in it for a little while. So to pretend it's not happening and to fail to engage, I've preached about that before, I think it's dangerous and I think it's irresponsible as a Christian because we are called to be salt and light in the world. It's important to be knowledgeable and it's important to engage, but it is important not to let your earthly identity and your earthly identity in an earthly kingdom become your priority. It is important that we remember that as the church, we are not primarily citizens of a country or of a state or of a county. We are primarily citizens of heaven left here to do a job on behalf of the king. There is a kingdom reigning in heaven, and we function as God's church as an embassy in the world. You see, if you go to the American embassy in Great Britain... You can be in the country of Great Britain, or England, I suppose we should call it. But once you step foot onto the embassy's ground, you are now on American soil in a foreign country. And the rules and the norms of the foreign country, the embassy in which you are in, are going to reflect the rules and the norms of the country for which they represent. And an embassy basically functions as an extension of America or an extension of whatever uh, country it represents in a foreign land. That's what we are as members of God's kingdom. We are not primarily Americans who are also Christians. We are primarily Christians who are also Americans. And may our identity and our behavior and our speech reflect that. And as the culture gets more and more divided, and I fight this too, it is very easy to believe that we want to stand up and defend and identify our ideology. Fight to the death. And I believe tonight that if we thought there was an outside threat on our way of life in our country, we would stand up and defend it. Amen? Y'all agree with that? So should we be committed and dedicated that much more to the kingdom of God here on earth. That should be our primary commitment. That should be our primary commitment. The idea of kingdom is present all through the Bible. It begins truly in the book of Genesis. God's rule and reign among his people has been his purpose from the very beginning. God did not create us to wind up the machine and to walk away and ignore it and let it run itself. God created his people so that he could dwell among his people. 
that he could be a participant with his people, that he could be with his people on earth. God created a kingdom in the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve were in the kingdom, but they were kicked out of the kingdom due to their sin. God made a covenant with a man named Abram. He changed his name to Abraham, and God promised him that he would be the father of a kingdom or of a nation. And as God created that nation and brought people out of this man Abraham's family, as this family grew and grew into a kingdom, God dwelled within this kingdom. He dwelt among this kingdom with his people, the Israelites, in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple that Solomon built. When they would make sacrifices in the Holy of Holies, God's Spirit was present. God dwelt among His people, and He ruled and reigned among His people in this kingdom. And they believed that that was the end of it. But the truth is, that kingdom here on earth wasn't the ultimate fulfillment of the idea of kingdom in the Scripture. We see that when Jesus comes onto the scene... After Israel, once again, just like Adam and Eve, was kicked out of the kingdom, so to speak, when Assyria and Babylon came in and they sacked the Jews and they took them captive and they drove them out of their land, just like Adam and Eve were kicked out of the kingdom due to sin, so were the Israelites. And it looked like it was going to be this ongoing cycle for many, many years until Jesus showed up and he proclaimed himself to be the new temple. Jesus called himself the temple. And not only did Jesus call himself the temple... He announced in Luke 17 that the kingdom of God that he was bringing with him could not be observed, but it is among your midst, or to say, translated, within you. It is to say that wherever Jesus is, there is the kingdom. That's where the kingdom is. And if you remember, in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascended into heaven, after he had been risen from the dead, the disciples asked him again, Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus replied, it's not for you to know that. Remember, Jesus already said the kingdom's not visible with the eyes, but the kingdom is where I'm at. The kingdom is among you. The kingdom is within you. And then he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, indicating that Jesus no longer views his kingdom as simply an ethnic identity, but as a multicultural group of called out people who will function as ambassadors for the king in the embassy or the kingdom that exists here on earth. You see, the kingdom, as Jesus defined it, is both present and future. You say, is the kingdom of God coming? Yes. Is the kingdom of God already here? Yes. The kingdom is both present and future. When we pray, God, your kingdom come, we're praying for something that has already been partially fulfilled in us. And that's good to know. But it is also present in the future. I want to break this down for just a bit, and this is going to lead somewhere, I promise. The kingdom in the present comes through salvation in Jesus Christ. He said in John 3, 3, Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom is both present and future. What does this mean, and why is it important that we know this concerning prayer? It's important that we know this Because when we pray, we tend to fall into the trap of praying not for God's kingdom, but for my kingdom. You see, my kingdom is my job, my career, my church, my influence, my family. Whatever God has kind of got laid at my feet, whatever my feet touch is my kingdom. It's what I am in control of. And it's easy to pray for that. 
But as the world system encroaches upon each of our individual kingdoms, and we've all got them, they all look different, but we all have our own kingdoms that we concern ourselves with Monday through Saturday and often even on Sunday. As the world system begins to converge on it, it is easy to believe that the outcome is going to be based on what changes on the outside. It's easy to believe that if God's prayers, if my prayers are going to be answered by God, if they're going to be effective, I'll only know it when God changes my circumstances. And it sounds something like this. I've got this problem going on in my life, and I've prayed about it, and I've prayed about it, and I've prayed about it, and God just has not changed it, and I don't know why. You ever been there? Like, how could God let this happen? Why did God allow it to happen? Why hasn't God answered this prayer? Why did God say no to my prayer? Why did God say no to healing? Why did God say no to this job which would have given me better opportunities? Why didn't God save my marriage? Why didn't God save my child? Why didn't God provide for this thing that I was going after? We, we have all these questions that we deal with all the time. We have all these questions that we deal with all the time. But yet when Jesus prayed and taught us to pray that we would pray that his kingdom would come, the idea is that for a moment, when we pray, we would recognize who God is, his Father, we would worship him as the God of the universe, and then we would prioritize his kingdom coming. It would be about his kingdom. And this kingdom comes not when the prayers that I pray get answered. You see, if I prayed that my political desires would be fulfilled in our country, I'd be real happy about it. Because I got all the answers, right? We all do. Man, if only we could get so-and-so in the White House, if only we could get so-and-so as the mayor, if only we could get so-and-so in the governor's seat, if only we could control this situation that's going on out here, out here then, then we could really do God's work and God's kingdom would come and there'd be righteousness in the land and God wouldn't judge us and we wouldn't be dealing with all this crazy stuff. And it's really easy to look at the world and go, oh my goodness, if we don't fix this mess, there's going to be a big problem in the church. Because the world is encroaching on the church. The world's pushing in on the church. The world is persecuting the church. Not here today necessarily, but all over the world the church is persecuted. And it is so easy to say, God, if you would fix these outside problems, then the inside problems would be resolved. We can pray it for the church, and we pray it for ourselves. God, if you would provide for me financially where I don't have to be so stressed all the time, I would give more. God, if you would fix this issue in my family, we would serve more. We would worship more. God, if you would give me a job where I could be at church more, then I would praise more, and I would be present more, and I would serve more, and I would minister more. And we think that if God will bring about my kingdom, then his kingdom will come. But the truth is, God doesn't need my kingdom to come in order for his kingdom to come. God needed Jesus to come in order for his kingdom to come. And Jesus came. And now Jesus is with us. And his spirit dwells with us. It is dangerous to fall into the trap that my priorities must become God's priorities. And when we fall into that trap, here's the danger. Here's what happens. I prayed, I asked, I fasted, I went after God, and God said no, and I just can't understand it. And it didn't work for me. And we get separate from God because we believe he's done something wrong or he's committed an injustice or maybe he doesn't love us or maybe I'm not good enough for him to answer my prayers. But the truth is, it's simply an issue of priorities. When I pray, is it about my kingdom? 
and my family and my job and my life and my will and my priorities, or is it about his? You see, we learned in 1 Peter 4 a few weeks ago, sometimes God wills difficult things for his children. Sometimes God's answers are not our answers, and we are to prioritize his kingdom. And centering prayer on God's kingdom means placing his priorities above my own. Jesus gives us a perfect picture of this in John chapter 17. Some of you remember this. Some of you remember this. Jesus was praying the night before he was crucified. Jesus had existed with God in heaven in eternity past. And for the first time and the only time in eternity past or in eternity future, God the Son was going to be betrayed and separated from God the Father. There was going to be a break in the unity of the Trinity. Only time in in eternity past, eternity future. It's easy for us to say, well, he was only dead three days. What's the big deal? Jesus was separated from the Father. It was a big deal. And he was afraid. Jesus the man was afraid. And Jesus the man prayed. And in John 17, I encourage you to read it for yourself. He prayed, if there's any way that you can take this cup from me. If there's any other way that we can get this done without it having to be this way, please, God, let it happen. But then he said, but God, not, not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus modeled what he taught. Jesus was about the kingdom, and it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured all things, even death on the cross. Jesus modeled this for us. And I want to challenge us tonight. This is going to be one of the shortest messages I've preached. I want to challenge us tonight as we pray that we enter into prayer as a child welcomes his loving father. Arms up. No list. Not worried about my agenda. Just, God, you're my father and I'm glad to be in your presence. That we recognize his holiness and that we remind ourselves And we proclaim to him, God, may I see you as as holy as you are, and may the world see you as holy as you are. And then we pray, God, and this is hard to do, and I'm going to challenge us to do it tonight and to take it with us the rest of this week. So we get ready to pray tonight, and we get ready to pray in the coming week, and hopefully in the future this is something you adopt. And we pray, deep breath, God, I have got a list of things that I'm stressed out about, things that I'm worried about, things that I'm dissatisfied with, things that I'm anxious about, things I'm concerned about, people that I'm worried about, health issues that concern me, people that I'm hurting for, people that need you, Lord. There's all of these things, God, that I want to bring to you. And it's right to bring those to him. But just for a moment, God, I want to set the priorities in order. God, this is your kingdom, not mine. This is your will, not mine. God, your kingdom come on earth, and may it come through me. And here's the challenge. If God's kingdom isn't a priority in your life, it's not going to be a priority in your prayer. God's kingdom won't be a priority in prayer until it's a priority in my life. I want to ask you tonight. Think about Daily life, Monday through Friday, maybe even throw Saturday in there. What are your priorities? Like you, you, we got, some of us are so busy with work and family, we don't have time for hobbies. Other of us have hobbies, and that's okay too. Got list of priorities, got 
kids, we've got work, travel, just all the things, all the things we're trying to do and trying to get accomplished. And prayer often gets squeezed in there, you know what I mean? Like it just gets squeezed in there. And usually, we bring that to prayer. And we say, God, here I am, here's what I'm dealing with. And he reminds us, don't, don't pray like the pagans. Don't pray like unbelievers babbling on and on and on thinking that I'll hear you. I know what you need. I know what your needs are. And there's a time to bring those. But we begin by praying his kingdom. But I want to ask you tonight, in your list of priorities, in the things that you're juggling, and all of us are, there's not one person in here that if I say, hey, how you doing, you're going to say busy. That's how we all are. We're busy. And busyness looks different for everybody. For Kip, it's two new babies in the home. For Dave, it's working midnight seven days a week. For me, it's four kids, a wife, and a new job. For Luke, it's school. Brother Jerry, it's keeping Miss Alice happy. Full-time job. Doing a good job of it. We've all got this list of priorities, don't we? And don't we all think that once things calm down, then, then things will be better? You ever said that? If I can just get through this period that I'm in with this thing that I'm facing, if I can just get through this, then things are going to get better. Things are going to get easier. And haven't we all sort of figured it out at this point, whether you're 86 or 26, they never get easier. They get different, they just don't get easier. And many of us are still waiting for that to change so that the kingdom can come and God's will can be done and we can have heaven on earth. But the truth is, it's often those things that we're just going to have to pray through. And we might as well in prayer follow Jesus' example and say, you know what, Jesus, I've got all this stuff, but all this stuff is not going to stop me from a time of intimacy and communication and worship with you. Now, in your daily life and in your busyness and your struggle, let me ask you, where is God's kingdom on your list of priorities? I'm not asking, do you love Jesus? I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm not asking, do you tithe? Do you pray? I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you've been saved. I'm just asking in general, saved, unsaved, whatever you are, where is God's kingdom on your list of priorities? When you say God's kingdom come, is it something you mean or is it something we say because we know that we should say? Because if we want our prayers to be effective, we have to first align our priorities with God. And if God's kingdom is not a priority in your life, it won't be a priority in your prayer. And if God's kingdom is not a priority in your prayer, your prayers will not get answered like you expect them to get answered because God has a set of priorities that may not match yours because you've got conflicting kingdoms. Perhaps you've never met him. Perhaps you don't know him. Maybe you're in this place tonight and you heard what Brother Jerry was speaking about. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to be welcomed into the kingdom of God for the first time. And God is inviting you.